It's good to see you. Welcome, a very warm welcome to the King's Church. It's great to see you this morning. Um, we have, for the last few weeks, been kind of looking at this topic uh, called the Kingdom of Heaven. And we're going to continue to look at um, a little another aspect, little nugget of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a kind of major theme that um, you find in, in the Bible. It's a major theme of Jesus in the, in the Gospels. You can hear him talking about the kingdom of, of heaven a lot. Um, and often when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he talks about it in, in parables. Um, so if you look at like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three books of the New Testament, you'll find Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. And often when he does it, he talks about it in parables. Uh, there's like 33, 35 parables in those first three books. And parables in the time of Jesus were, were used as a kind of like um, a way of teaching people. And so listeners uh, listening to Jesus at the time would have been really familiar with parables, less so today. You know, parables are not really probably the major tool that teachers, any teachers here, put your hands up for a minute. Teachers, is it parables the main tool that you teach the national curriculum subject with? I don't, I don't think so, trying to, you know, describe adverbs and all that sort of stuff. It's not used so much today. So, like, what are parables? Well, parables are essentially like they're fictitious stories. They're normally um, very short. They, they don't really include any unnecessary detail. So they're quite punchy, they're quite short, uh, and they're normally used to kind of... Um, kind of talk about a couple of things, like they compare something in order to kind of talk about a moral truth or, or a religious truth maybe. And the settings of these stories are normally in kind of everyday kind of familiar, familiar life so that the people listening could kind of listen to them and think, yeah, I, I understand something of the context in, when, in which you're speaking. So when Jesus told parables, often you find he talks about agriculture because in the context Jesus is in, he's talking to communities, agricultural communities. And so they can listen to him, and he's using things they know to kind of try and communicate some sort of truth to them. Now, today, maybe you'd use, I don't know, social media or technology or something else if you're, if you're wanting to talk in parables. But these, the truths contained in parables are not always obvious to people listening. You know, when Jesus taught crowds of people using parables, often, although they kind of understood kind of the story and the context and what he's talking about, often there are people that didn't really understand the meaning behind. In fact, you know, um, Jesus is, is teaching wide crowds at, at one point, and his disciples, they, they say to him very specifically, they say, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus replies, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. He goes on to say, that is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And you think, well, that's a bit of a strange response, you know, about why he uses parables, but, but Jesus is saying something incredible. He's saying that in these stories, which we're going to look at in a minute, in these parables are the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. In these parables are secrets about the kingdom of heaven. That is an incredible statement. Jesus has planted within these stories information and knowledge about what his kingdom is like. And these stories will reveal to us a bit by bit something of the nature of God's kingdom and therefore the character of God, what he's like, and kind of what he's expecting people that follow him to be like. 
It's all hidden within these parables. And Jesus is saying, if if you've got hearts that are open to God, if you've got hearts that are are open to the things of God, of wanting to hear about God, then when you listen to the parables and when you hear them, you'll see it. You'll see it. But if your heart is like closed to God, you're not really interested in anything to do with God or his kingdom or anything. If you've got a heart that is closed to God, then when you hear these parables, you might understand the story, you might even understand the context, but the meaning is going to be lost on you. Because you're not looking into it, it's going to be a mystery to you. And so this morning, I want to explore the secret of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus reveals in these parables. And we're going to be looking in Matthew's gospel, first book of the Bible, Matthew's gospel, chapter 13. And in this chapter, Jesus tells a number of parables, and I want to just focus in on on two of them. Two parables that contain within them secrets about the kingdom of heaven. And my prayer is that as we look at these two parables this morning, God will open our eyes and help us to see something more about what his kingdom is like. And therefore, that we would actually leave here with a greater expectation of what his kingdom is like. And as kingdom citizens or Christians, like what our part is um, in all of that. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 13 verses 31 to 33. He put another power before them and saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. There you go, they're short, they're punchy. No unnecessary detail in there. And Jesus is using these parables to essentially say the same thing but in, in two different ways. And the first truth contained in these parables about the kingdom of heaven is that it starts small. It starts small. Remember, there's no unnecessary detail in these parables. So the fact that Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed is not insignificant. Seeds come in all different shapes of sizes. You get kind of big ones, small ones. The biggest seed that there is is this one here. It's that. You can see some smirks. I don't know why. That's the biggest seed around. That's the, that's the coco de mer. It's about 12 inches wide. It grows up to be a, a palm tree. And um, Kieran is like a schoolboy on the front seat here. Um, so there's a, a big seed. You get other ones like the avocado seed. That's, that's actually quite high up in the list of, of big seeds. It's a pretty big seed. The mustard seed is tiny. It's tiny. Now, the cocoa de mer seed and, and the avocado seed wouldn't have been around in first century Palestine, but what we do know is that the people that Jesus is listening to, they kind of, they're seeds of all different shapes and sizes, and they know that the mustard seed at the time that Jesus is speaking to and to the people he's speaking to is the smallest one. It's the smallest one. And the fact that when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he picks this seed to talk about and compare it to is shocking to the Jews that are listening. 
You know, they're waiting for the promised Messiah. They're waiting with eager expectation for a king that is going to come in like power and save them from the Romans and establish them as the dominant people group on earth. And the kingdom they're looking forward to is one that's going to break in to their world like big time, dramatic, spectacular sort of way. And Jesus is saying something very different about the kingdom. He's saying that the breakout of the kingdom of heaven on earth will not be like that. It's not going to be like that. It won't start big. It's going to start tiny. Compared to all the other seeds, it won't be massive or impressive like the Coco de Mer seed. It will look at first glance to be insignificant and unspectacular. And Jesus is making the same point when he speaks about the kingdom of heaven being like leaven or, or yeast that a woman puts into flour. When you get a pack of yeast, you know, you get some yeast and you kind of put it in flour, you know, it kind of disappears. You can't see it. It just, it looks unnoticeable. In the Gospel of Luke, uh, you get this point where the religious leaders start talking to Jesus and they're asking him about his views of the kingdom of heaven. And he says to them this, he says, the kingdom of God... Is not coming with, this, with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. Now, at the beginning, it will be ordinary looking, to the point where no one's going to stop and, and look and go, wow, you know, let's, let's call the BBC film crew, let's get it on the news at 10, the kingdom's here, something spectacular is happening. Now, Jesus says it won't be like that. It's, at first glance, it's not going to look like something that's newsworthy at all. It's not what the listeners of Jesus were expecting or wanting. And to be honest, it's not something that, you know, we would be wanting or expecting either. You know, I mean, who wants to be a part of something that is, begins tiny, really, you know, all of us actually want to be part of something that's big and powerful. If you've got a like, choice between being part of something that starts like tiny or, or joining a kingdom that already looks big and on the face of it impressive and powerful, I mean, you're going to go for the big looking one, aren't you? None of us want to start with something that's tiny. And the kingdom of heaven starts small, without fanfare, without recognitions, its beginnings are unimpressive to those looking on. But more than that, Jesus is saying through both these parables that on the face of it, the success of this kingdom is, looks unlikely. It looks unlikely. No farmer in their right mind gets a tiny little seed and kind of wanders into the middle of his field and kind of like plants it in the ground and covers it over and sits back and go, I have planted my seed and I've done my work that's not that what they, they would do and the people listening would have thought you know that's that's a crazy way of farming it's ridiculous I mean that is not how you farm at all you don't kind of put all your hopes in one little size seed you don't plant it and think this is going to produce for me an incredible crop it's going to produce for me an amazing harvest that is going to be impressive it's unlikely. And the same is true with the, with the lady who, who puts yeast into her flour. In those days, yeast didn't actually come in kind of little packets that you get from Tesco's and you pour it in. The way you made bread was you would get like a bit of yesterday's old fermented dough and you would put it 
in the new flour. That's how you made bread. You'd get a bit of yesterday's old kind of soggy dough and you'd put it in yesterday's, uh, in, in, the new, in, in the new bread. And then normally a woman would make enough bread for kind of like one household. That's what she would do. She'd make enough bread to sustain her household. But she puts a little bit of old dough into three measures of flour. Now that bit of information is lost on us today because we just buy our bread from Tesco's or Sainsbury's. But the people listening would have thought, what? That's bonkers. No one makes bread like that. Three measures of flour is enough flour to make bread for an entire village. You don't get a little bit of yeast and you put it in that amount of flour. I mean, that's just bonkers. That is unlikely. One woman putting that amount of yeast in that amount of flour is unlikely to make any difference. The bread is unlikely to rise or do have any impact. And besides, the Jews that are listening uh, to Jesus talking tended to associate yeast with things that were bad, actually. Yeast is mentioned a lot in Scripture. And whenever it's used, it's also, most of the time, it's used in association with something that's evil. It's used as a metaphor for something that is decaying, this kind of old, soggy, fermented bit of dough. It's, it's used as something that is old and decaying. And like when you put it into something that's new, it has the ability actually sometimes to make the whole new thing become decaying and corrupt. It could destroy the whole batch. That's kind of the context that yeast is often talked about. That's, the, that's what the listeners would have been used to. So this makes no sense to them. Absolutely no sense. He's, he's talking about something that is going to guarantee success. If you want to talk about something that's going to guarantee a success of a crop or success of a bread rising, you wouldn't talk like this. This is too risky a strategy. It's rotten and it's unlikely to produce any sort of good outcome. See, the kingdom of heaven... Jesus says, start small. And on the face value, it's unlikely to amount to much because the method that is used is far from perfect. It's a far from perfect strategy. But as unlikely as it is, Jesus goes on in his parable and he concludes by saying that this tiny, weeny little seed that fits on the end of your finger, he says, when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And this old bit of soggy dough, when put into three measures of new flour, becomes leaven. It makes the dough rise. And the people would have thought, given the circumstances, that is an unexpected outcome. People may have believed that the mustard seed may have grown into a kind of being a kind of regular-sized mustard bush, but Jesus is saying it doesn't just become a regular mustard seed bush. It becomes a tree that becomes bigger than anything else. It outgrows everything that it's next to it, overtakes all the other garden plants in size and statue. It becomes a place where birds come and rest and come and settle and, and make their homes and find security in their rest. That's what happens. This is the kingdom, the image of the kingdom of heaven that you and I have been invited to become a part of, to become citizens of. 
as a kingdom that starts small but becomes a place of shelter and refuge. A place that people will feel a sense of homecoming, a sense of rest, a kingdom that will eventually tower over everything else and have a positive effect on everything that it comes into contact with. Everything around it, it will have a positive effect on. Listen to these verses that are prophesied by um, Ezekiel that you can read about in the Old Testament. Hundreds of years before Jesus, he says this, On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches that bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it, and they'll find shelter in the shade of its branches. goes on, and he says this, All the birds of the sky nested in its burrows. All the animals of the wild gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. It was majestic in beauty with its spreading burrows, for its roots went down to abundant waters. The cedars of the garden of God could not rival it, nor could the junipers equal its burrows, nor could the plane trees compare with its branches. No tree in the garden of God could match its beauty. That is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. Starts tiny. Whose success is unlikely, it becomes a place of refuge. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you would say, you're not, you're not a Christian, you know. You've kind of been hanging around, coming in, having a look, and you like being here, but you're not at the point where you'd say, you know, I'm, I'm a kingdom citizen, I'm a Christian. This morning, through this parable, God wants to open your eyes to see the kingdom that you can be a part of. It's a place like no other kingdom can't compare it to any other kingdom a place where you can know peace a place where you can know rest shelter support everything that life throws on you you can know refuge through Jesus's death and his resurrection you have been invited to come and spend a life in its branches Jesus said come to me all who are weary and I'll give you rest In other words, there is a branch for you. There's a place for you in his kingdom where you can know shelter and shade. And this tree, this this kingdom will grow to the extent that it will be big enough for any and everyone to find shelter in. There will never get a point where this kingdom is starting to creak, where the tree's branches are starting to go, I can't take Anymore. Now he says, Ezekiel says that it will be a place for all birds, all animals, even all great nations. If the scale of the, the kingdom is able to cope with something like that, then I want to suggest that the kingdom is big enough for you to come and find shade in it, for you to come and, and find refuge in it. And Jesus says in this parable that this kingdom that is planted will eventually affect everything around it. The kingdom of heaven is is more than just a kind of place where individuals can come and know and find shelter. It's a place that has the ability to affect every single area of life, every household, 
Every school, every business, every government, every nation, it has the effect, the ability to affect absolutely everything. And I want to suggest today that whatever your current view is of the kingdom of God, whatever your view is of its size and its scale, I want to suggest it's probably a little bit too small. It's probably a bit too small. And through these parables, Jesus tells his listeners to be expectant to see something that starts small grow in size and scale that will eventually dwarf anything and everything else that's growing next to it. Now that's the reason why we sometimes struggle with our levels of expectation of the extent of the breakout of the kingdom of earth, both kind of nationally and and locally. It's because God has an unexpected and unlikely strategy of seeing it work. His method is that the kingdom of heaven will grow and become the biggest tree in the field through using small and insignificant people like you and like me. Sounds bonkers, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds absolutely crazy. You're looking at me and you're thinking, there's, there's no way, you know, I could be someone that God could plant and see something grow bigger. You know, I get that. And I'm looking at you and thinking the same. I'm thinking, it's bonkers. That God's strategy would be that every one of you, he would use and plant And you would have a part to play in seeing his kingdom grow and become something of size and scale. I mean, it's mental, isn't it? It's as bonkers as someone putting a seed in the ground and thinking they're going to get an amazing harvest. It's as bonkers as someone putting a bit of old dough in a whole massive batch of flour and thinking, I could could feed the whole village. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Crazy, but that, as unlikely as it sounds, that is the method of establishing his kingdom on earth. God's kingdom in our communities will be limited in its growth if we don't play a part in it. It will be limited in its growth if actually all we do, as good as it is and as right and as proper as it is, is if we just get together and we pray that it happens somehow supernaturally. It won't happen by us just watching from a distance. The breakout of God's kingdom and the growth of it in our communities and in our nation won't happen through us some dramatic event. It could do, but it's unlikely more likely is that God will use each one of us to see his kingdom established on earth. And our role as kingdom citizens is not simply time of just to kind of sit back and enjoy being part of God's kingdom. The gospel is not just a personal one. It's a missional one. God gives us Uh, saves us and and gives us this new identity and then he fills us with power and just like the guy said to Spider-Man, with power comes great responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. I'm sure that should be in the Bible somewhere. And our role is to see God's kingdom grow and becoming a tree that provides shelter for everyone from our neighbours to to whole nations, 
Jesus once said, seek first the kingdom of God. That is to be our main priority. And these two parables speak to everyone and anyone who's ever had the thought, I'm too small. The challenge is too big. I don't think I could affect the culture of my workplace. I don't think I have the ability on my own to to meet a need in my community. I'm not likely to make much difference. These parables speak directly into that type of mentality and says no matter how small you feel, no matter how unlikely it is, that is God's strategy. You are his agent for God seeing his kingdom established on earth as it is in heaven. If you are a kingdom citizen, then God has planted you somewhere for a purpose. And the growing can sometimes be slow process. You know, you may not see instant results. If you sit and watch a seed grow, you know, you're going to have to sit and watch a long time before you actually see anything particularly significant happen. It's the same with kind of watching um, yeast put in flour. You're going to have to watch it for a long time. You know, we live in a culture where we kind of, we want instant results. And that can often spill out into, you know, what we think about God's kingdom and God's culture. We want instant results right now. We want to go from small to big instantly. We're obsessed by it often. You know, we want to see growth. And that's right, it's good to see growth. We're going on a leadership training track called, um, called uh, Growing to the Next Level, you know? Just booked into that. It's good to want to grow, grow but quickly doesn't really happen in God's kingdom. That's not the way. It happens bit by bit, slowly, invisibly. There is no quick path to seeing the kingdom of heaven established, which is citizens of it can be incredibly frustrating sometimes. And the reality is you, you may not see it quickly. You may not even see it in your lifetime. Our role is to allow God to plant us and be open to him using us so that one day it happens. Take someone like William Wilberforce, for example. A short little guy, you know, struggled with with health his entire life. And when he became a Christian, when he became a a citizen of heaven, Eric Metakis, in his, his book about Wilberforce, Amazing Grace, is a brilliant read, He says this, God opened his eyes and showed him another world. Somehow Wilberforce saw God's reality, what Jesus called the kingdom of heaven. He saw things he'd never seen before, things that we quite take for granted today, but are as foreign to his world as slavery is to ours. He saw things that existed in God's reality, but that in human reality were nowhere in evidence. He saw the idea that all men and women are created equal by God in his image, and therefore sacred. He saw the idea that one must love one's neighbor as oneself. It's the kind of things he put in him when he became a citizen of heaven. As, as that happens to us, as we become citizens of heaven, God opens our eyes to us seeing the world different. Our view of the world changes once we become citizens of heaven. And once Wilberforce had become a citizen of heaven, God plants him in politics at a time when slavery was like a huge industry. And what are the odds of this tiny little guy, short guy, 
and bad health. What are the odds of this guy who has a desire to see God's values and his kingdom transform how the nation treats the poor? What are the likely of that bearing fruit? I mean, it's unlikely on the face of it. There's so much opposition. And though it took years and years and years, God, who planted Wilberforce and a bunch of his friends, not only kind of made the abolition of slavery possible, but also transformed a nation's social conscience. That's kind of what happened. Matakas, he goes on, he says this, that through Wilberforce, we, that's you and I, anyone else living in Western civilization, had suddenly entered a world in which we would never ask, um, would never again ask whether it was our responsibility as a society to help the poor and the suffering. We would only quibble about the how and about the details, about whether to use public funds or private, but we would never again ask the question about whether it was our responsibility as a society to help those less fortunate. That had been settled. Everything from the thousands and thousands of charities that exist today to like the welfare state and everything else started by God planting Wilberforce as a seed in politics. I wonder over the last couple of hundred years how many people have found refuge in the branches of those kingdom values because God used a tiny little man and planted it. In politics. And God's desire is to use small people, kingdom citizens, living with, with kingdom values to affect the dough, to see the kingdom of earth become a shelter where everyone living in it will come and find rest. You know, you may think, well, I'm, I'm not a Wilberforce. I'm, Wilberforce probably didn't think he was a Wilberforce. We're not all going to be Wilberforces, but wherever you are, God wants to plant you as unlikely as it is. He wants to use you to see his kingdom established on earth. You know, whether that's in your workplace, in your family, whether that's when you go and sign on at the job center, wherever it is, he is expecting to use you to see his kingdom established. Bill Hybels once wrote this. He said, When the true Christian enters the marketplace, Christ enters with him or her, and together they must leave their mark of holiness. That's kind of what happens. It's what God is expecting. Wherever you go, wherever he plants you, something's going to happen. There's going to be a mark left. There's going to be some growth happening. And this parable shows us that we don't need to worry about our own limitations. We can undertake acts of kindness. We can sow a seed. We can add yeast to the dough. And God will ensure that the whole thing rises. As a church here in, in Mid-Sussex, you know, we strongly believe that our purpose here is not simply to be a nice little community where we can all spend time together as Christians and enjoy fellowship with one another, as important as that is. We're here to play our part in becoming a tree that provides shelter for everyone within the community in which we live. That's why we've been planted here. God has put us as a seed and he plans as as unlikely as it sounds 
to use us as a chance to transform the area in which we've been planted. That is why we're providing homes for the homeless. That's, that's why that we're doing um, hamper projects at Christmas. That's why instead of keeping all the money to ourselves, we give money to local charities. That's why we're soon to kind of step into the gap of, of schools when, and, and, and free school meals. So during term time, loads of kids in our community get free school meals because the parents can't afford to provide hot meals. And then holidays come, and that pressure is put back on families, and it's a crippling pressure offer. So we're going to start providing, as a church, free meals for children in the holidays. If you want to be a part of that, we're just gathering a team. Come and speak to me. I'd love to chat to you more about it. Why do we do these things? Why do we do debt advice? Why do we run a cars ministry? Why do we go to Kenya? Because God wants to use us to become a shelter for everyone in our communities. He wants the kingdom of God to grow, to be the dominant thing that outgrows everything else around it where every single person can come and find shade in its branches. It's why we have this center here. That's why we have 40 groups that come and meet here every week from our community. Becoming a shade, a shelter for people. And the question is, do we think of all the reasons why it's unlikely, or despite the challenges, and despite how small we might feel, do we trust that God is able to do all more than we can ask or imagine? Start small. It starts tiny. It's unlikely on the face of it. But you and I are God's seeds. You and I are his agents. We are the ones that God is wanting to plant to see his kingdom break out on planet Earth as it is in heaven. What an exciting possibility to be involved in it. What an incredible privilege that God would use us in that process. I want to invite us to stand and we're going to just respond to God together.